What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 299 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter, slash X, and Facebook for the latest updates. Uh, great to be back with you folks this week. Uh, looking forward to this week. Got a returning guest on Guest Friday uh, coming up talking about the Sox. Uh, later this week, so looking forward to that. Um, but good to be back. If you haven't listened to uh, last week's, you know, Belichick era appreciation episode, you can go listen to that. I uh, had a lot of a lot of fun talking about that episode and talking about you know some favorite memories from the Bill Belichick era that unfortunately has come to an end. But you know, as we'll talk about later in the podcast, uh, I think is can be and should be an exciting time to be a Patriot fan. I think just something new and something different, you know, I think can be can be exciting at certain points. So we'll definitely talk more about that as Gerard Mayo seems to be fairly aggressive in building out uh, his coaching staff. So we'll talk about plenty of that, but we're going to get going today with the Bruins. Uh, we're going to start with the Bruins today. <clears throat> you know, it's funny, it's almost like a, it's pretty much been the Patriots leading the conversation uh, pretty much for the last couple of months. But, you know, I think leading today with the Bruins made a lot of sense to me. Um, for those of you that watched uh, Saturday's game against Montreal, uh, there was something that stuck with me. So um, obvious, obviously this season being the, you know, 100th year anniversary of the Boston Bruins and the way that the team has honored different eras of the teams. You know, I think we've seen four previous era nights uh, before Saturday that were honoring, you know, different eras of the team. And um, something that really stuck out to me on Saturday, Bruins honoring the era from 1988 to 2000, New Blood, New Beginnings, I think was the name of it. And one of the things that was really interesting to me, um, you know, the Bruins choosing to celebrate the 1988 team that was the first Bruins team to beat Montreal in a playoff series in over 40 years. You know, the Bruins had had year after year, it seemed like, you know, not every single year, but they had years after years of playoff disappointments against the Canadians and just kept happening year after year. And then in 1988, the Bruins, you know, broke the, the jinx or the curse or whatever you want to call it. And I thought that that was significant um, because I think when I think about me, myself being a Bruins fan, you know, the Bruins-Canadians rivalry was, you know, always something that was so, you know, special in terms of some of the games that I would watch, you know, when I became really a diehard Bruins fan and it just is kind of amazing you know that rivalry that it's stood the test of time and you know obviously you look at the rivalry now it's a lot different you know the Bruins are kind of the team that have dominated the rivalry over the last couple of years you know yes of course the Bruins have had countless playoff series against that team you know you think about recent memory you think about the you know, 2004 playoff series. You think about 2009, you think about 2011, 2014, 
Um, and it's just so significant, you know, that rivalry. And it's kind of been the, the forefront of, you know, me becoming a diehard Bruins fan. I still remember that night, you know, game six in 2008, the Marco Sturm game, you know, how amazing that game was. And that really kind of, I think, ratcheted up hockey in the region. And the other part that was significant about the the game on Saturday, you know, during the broadcast, the Nesson broadcast, they were, you know, talking to Cam Neely. And one of the things that was interesting to me is, you know, how the Bruins, you know, really were, you know, how that 88 team really exercised a lot of demons and how really since then the Bruins have had, you know, fair success against the Canadians. But for 40 years, it was completely different, you know, really kind of were the team that, you know, always lost to Montreal. And so um, I thought it was significant that they were, you know, talking about how the Bruins, you know, and maybe it was a conversation about how long Neely's been involved with the team, but it just seems like the Bruins have had this run really since that 2008 playoff series against Montreal. You know, they've been Stanley Cup contenders for close to 15 years. Now, it's not every year that they've been a Stanley Cup contender, but they've been, you know, in contention and have been an exciting team to follow. And, you know, that was kind of different from, you know, that era, that time leading up to 1988, that the Bruins were always, you know, beaten at the hands of the Canadians. So um, I just thought that was a really significant night you know, and really a night that was interesting to look back on. Um, and the Bruins, obviously, the game was amazing. Bruins destroyed the Canadians 9-4, to uh, playing one of their best offensive games of the season. You know, I think defensively there was a little bit to be desired, and I think they played great defensively in that game, but obviously, you know, did enough. And so many, you know, great things to like about that game. Um, you know, the honoring of the 88 team before the game, you know, the, the goals by Pasternak to get over the 30-goal plateau, Marshan to get over the 20-goal plateau, you know, being only, I believe, the third Bruins player to ever do that um, other than Johnny Busick and Bergeron. So that was significant. And then, you know, really kind of the icing on the cake, uh, the icing on the cake, Danton Heinen's first career hat trick in his 450th uh, career game. So obviously I think since Heinen has joined the Bruins, I've been very complimentary of him. And it really seemed like Saturday night was the culmination of all the hard work that he's put in, you know, in the off season for that professional tryout, you know, into that contract and it's not stopped him. You know, he's not rested on his laurels. He's continued to, just be a really smart, versatile hockey player that can fit in anywhere. And I thought it was just great to see him get rewarded for the hard work that he's put in. And I think has been one of the Bruins' most effective players this season. And I think it's outstanding that, you know, he's finding this success again with this team, the team that drafted him. So really good feeling about that team um, after Saturday's game. You know, I think... Uh, a couple of other solid wins. You know, the Devils game, I thought they played really well. I thought the Avalanche game 
they were outstanding and played really well against a very good team. Um, and it just, this team continues to surprise me. Um, I've been saying that all season, but it just is pretty unbelievable how they just continue to win. They just continue to find ways to win and find ways to, you know, come up with wins and come up with big plays, you know, even in stretches of time where guys have been out. And the great news is the guys are back. You know, Carlo Forbert returned to the lineup. Forbert came back for the first time in like about a month and a half. So it was good to see him return to the lineup. Good to see Carlo back in. Potra came back. Um, then Olmark obviously was in net, and I think, sure, was a little bit rusty Saturday night with a couple goals given up. But, you know, I think getting those guys back into the swing of things, um, I think is going to be really important for a team that I think is starting to, you know, ratchet up some of these games with, you know, 37 games to go. It's going to be a pretty busy second half of the year for the Bruins. So uh, it's good to see guys back healthy. Um, I thought that um, the last couple of games that um, I think Padra had been out, uh, Bruins did also send down Johnny Beecher, which, to be perfectly honest, I don't think I was super happy about, um, just because I think he's a guy that really should only only improve with you know ice time here at the NHL level. But I also think that Jesper Boquist has played really well, uh, filling in for Patra, filling in for Beecher over the last couple of games, and really is a guy that plays with speed and has some skill and had a great assist on... Um, it was one of the goals on Saturday. <laughs> one of the nine goals on Saturday. Um, let me see if I can find which goal it was, because it was a really nice kind of one-touch pass that got... Um, which goal? It was Heinen's second goal um, in the second period that gave the Bruins the 4-3 lead that they ultimately would not relinquish. Um, it was the little tip pass uh, to Heinen to lead the two-on-one with Patra, and then Heinen scores. So I thought he made a really nice play there, and I think you know gives the Bruins another element of kind of a speedy skill guy that you can throw in on the in the bottom six, <clears throat> you know, and have him play every once in a while. Um, he's been playing some games recently here, um, but I thought that that was a good game for him. Uh, Bruins, I think, a couple of really important games this week. Um, you know, I mentioned how busy they're going to be, but uh, Bruins actually, you know, four games this week, and then they're off. Uh, for the all-star break and so then they don't come back um, until uh, over a week later so that's the good news the, the news that i think is interesting three of the next four are against some really good competition uh bruins got the jets tonight which should be a really good game uh bruins and jets it's always a always exciting when they, the two teams play uh bruins did lose five to one the last last time that they played. So, you know, maybe a little bit of revenge on the scoreboard, hopefully, but then the Bruins welcome uh, Carolina to the Garden on Wednesday. And I think that should be another good game. Um, then the final game before the All-Star break 
Saturday in Philadelphia against a surprisingly good Philadelphia team um, that's had a pretty good start to their season. Um, so I think, you know, as I said, with the injured guys coming back, I think good opportunity for them to, you know, assimilate back into the lineup, uh, you know, kind of just get their legs under them. I think especially someone like Forbert who, you know, coming until Saturday's game had not played in a month and a half. And, you know, obviously there's going to be rust. And, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, moving forward the next couple of weeks, you know, how the Bruins approach the left side with their defensemen. You know, do they feel that Grizzlick is someone that they could let go of um, and make a trade? Because it does seem like Mason Lowry has continued to get better with the games that he's playing up here. And I think Parker Watherspoon has shown that he can play some minutes when he needs to. And so, <clears throat> you know, you think about those three guys, Lowry, Watherspoon, and Lindholm, then you add in someone like Forbert, and, you know, you think that someone like Grizzly could be someone who's on the outside looking in, you know, kind of be part of a numbers crunch. And I think... <clears throat> You know, he would be the most likely guy to get moved uh, from that from that group of defensemen. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of moving forward how the Bruins, you know, play some of these guys defensively and if they're giving guys games off here and there. So um, I think... You know, definitely some important games coming up. But again, you know, this is a team that continues to impress. You know, they go through some stretches, you know, losing some games, losing four in a row, losing four, three out of four, four out of five or whatever. You know, recently losing four out of five, but then coming right back and winning four in a row. So, you know, you hope the Bruins can close the, you know, unofficial first half of the season well uh, before the all-star break and then things get really crazy I think after the all-star break because the Bruins start to be very very busy um, with games basically I would think basically like every other day until the end of the season so you know 37 games to go and then you got these four so those last 33 will be pretty crazy but Bruins really looking really good. Um, and again, really pleased with the effort against Montreal because I think that that was a game that definitely could have been a trap game. Um, you know, a game that, you know, emotionally, I think, can sometimes be, you know, any of those games that have pregame ceremonies, I think can be tough because you're raring to go, ready to go, and then you have to wait, you know, 10 to 15 minutes uh, to get going. And I think sometimes, you know, you could get too caught up in the emotions of, something like that, but I think they did a good job at, you know, maintaining their composure, especially after Montreal was able to rally back and tie the game a couple times that the Bruins were able to stay with it and, you know, took over the game, which, you know, they should against a team like Montreal. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do this week uh, with three other next four against some pretty good teams. And, you know, maybe too early to say this, but I think, you have two teams that could be potential uh, playoff opponents uh, in Carolina and Philadelphia. So 
looking forward to both of these games uh, moving forward. So I think I think I'm gonna move on. I don't think there was anything else with the Bruins that I wanted to mention. Um, but yeah, so I think we'll move on. Uh, talk a little bit about the Celtics coming off. I would say a pretty solid win last night in Houston. Uh, you know, Celtics, I think, a little bit of an uneven week. You know, I think that they came in feeling good about that. Um, came in, you know, feeling good about the... Uh, matchup with the Nuggets um, on Friday, you know, I think came away from the game, me personally, I think, left uh, left not really satisfied with um, the way that that game closed the Celtics. Um, again, I think really having a hard time closing out that game um, and come up short. And I think after a game like that, it's fair to have, you know, some concerns about yeah, okay, you know, some of these games that they lose, the close games that they lose, there kind of is a common denominator that, you know, the Celtics are unable to, you know, hold a lead, unable to score many points in the last couple of minutes and, you know, kind of <clears throat> end up not being able to, you know, make the right plays down the stretch. And I think that it's a fair concern. You know, I think that in games like that, you would like Tatum and Brown to, you know, be the guys instead of, you know, Derek White being the team's leading scorer. And it's not to say that it's not good that Derek White is scoring a lot of points in games like this, because obviously you want guys like him to be comfortable and be, you know, comfortable taking a little bit of a leading role. But it's kind of a game that you would like to see Tatum and Brown you know, step up and be a little bit more consistent, um, especially down the stretch. And I think you look at some of the numbers that they had, you know, 9 for 24 for Tatum, 6 for 19 from Brown, you know, 2 for 17 shooting threes. Um, I think that sometimes, you know, obviously a three-point shooting can be a little bit too much. Celtics did seemingly take a lot of those and I think missed a lot of them uh, on Friday night, you know, 31%. But you know, I think the bigger thing is not having Tatum feel like he has to be the guy that has to, you know, do everything down the stretch. And I think there's something to be said for, you know, using all the resources that you have that, you know, Tatum taking a tough step back jumper doesn't need to be, you know, what the consensus is every time you have a game like that, that, you know, could you set up a shot for Derek White? Could you set up a shot for Porzingis, you know, set up a drive for Jalen Brown. And I think, you know, it's tough because this team has been so consistently solid throughout the year. And I think for the most part, they've done well in some of these games that, you know, come down to the wire and they make the right play. Um, and I think winning a bunch of games that maybe they would have lost last year, but I still think that when you lose games like Friday night, there still are some thoughts that linger that, okay, you know, is this team really past the, 
late game issues that have plagued them, I think, in the last uh, couple of years. But I think the biggest thing for me is I think they just need to stay confident and have faith that, you know, things will work up, work out. And I think if that means Jason being more comfortable getting other guys involved, if that means that Joe Missoula needs to be more comfortable drawing up a play for or porzing his three or a Jalen Brown drive or whatever, you know, Jalen Brown being comfortable, being a guy that maybe takes that last shot. You know, I think it's a combination of different things that I think you can have confidence that, okay, things will work themselves out because we're only halfway through the season, 43 games in. There's a long way to go. And I think this team has already shown some progress, you know, winning some of these games down the stretch, uh, being so much better at home, obviously, that lost Friday night was their first loss at home. But, you know, I think it's, you can see progress. You can see progress in how they're playing better at home. You can see progress in winning some of these games that go down to the wire. Okay, maybe they're not games that you win on buzzer beaters, but it's like, <clears throat> you think about some recent games, you know, the overtime win against Minnesota. There was an overtime win against Detroit. Yes, I know it's against Detroit, but, you know, games like that, when you're in close game situations, they are important, you know, that you can close out. They had a couple games against Cleveland earlier this year in December that they were able to come up with the clutch plays at the end. Um, I just think that there are countless examples of them being better in the fourth quarter than they were last year um, and just being better at home. You know, you saw that, you know, I think that they were five and six at home at the Garden last year in the playoffs. And I think <clears throat> obviously one of the changes this year is they've been much better at home. You know, first loss against Denver in a two-point game. I think he'll take that. So, you know, I think it's fair to be a little bit concerned about results like Friday night, but I also think they showed pretty good resolve bouncing back uh, or kind of riding Porzingis um, in the fourth quarter for this game, uh, beating the Rockets 116-107. And I think, you know, as I said last week, you know, it's great when guys like Holiday and White can have these good games when, you know, Tatum and Brown kind of don't have it. But la and last night it was Porzingis, you know, he was just a beast when the Celtics went to him in the fourth quarter. You know, I think that the Rockets uh, respectfully don't really have someone that can match up very well with Porzingis. And he, you know, really took advantage of those matchups. And I think, you know, you would have liked him to be a little bit more involved in the Denver game. But, you know, there also were, I think, better defenders in that Denver game. Um, the Celtics were able to take advantage of some Good matchups last night. Porzing is 32 points. Derek White with 21. <laughs> with 21. And I thought despite... Yeah. Despite Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum kind of... It being kind of secondary pieces last night. They still were able to find other ways. Uh, Jalen Brown had 10 assists in this game. 11 rebounds. A triple-double for him, Jason, at 18 points um, and seven rebounds. You know, he's become a much better rebounder in the last couple of years. And I think having the ability to have confidence 
in both of those guys that are okay, even if their games, even if their shooting number, even even if their shooting numbers are off, Jason was four for seventeen. You know they can still find other ways to be to be effective, um, and Jalen Brown certainly did that. You know, six for fourteen. It's not a terrible shooting percentage, but you know, ten assists, making plays for other guys, eleven rebounds. Uh, Derek White also had eleven rebounds in this game, and twenty one points and three threes. So, you know, there are different ways that guys can help out, and I thought it was good to see the team bounce back after a frustrating loss on Friday night, and I think. This team has been very good after losses this year. Um, I think something like nine or ten and one um, that they've been able to do a good job at responding to tough losses, and I think that's usually the mark of a really good team, and a championship caliber team that can suffer through tough losses, but find a way to be able to kind of correct them in the next game and. You know, things do not get easier for the Celtics this week um, as they have three games against some really tough opponents. Um, they're in Dallas tonight, actually, second of a back-to-back. So Porzingis likely won't play. Horford didn't play last night, but should play tonight. Um, and then the Celtics are in Miami Thursday night and then return home to the Garden on Saturday night against the Clippers, which is the start of a, what looks like a season-long seven-game homestand, so tough games in there. It'd be interesting against Dallas, against a former teammate Kyrie Irving for some of the guys, and then old friend Grant Williams. Uh, so that will be an interesting game tonight as the Celtics take on the Mavericks and Luka at 8.30. I have to say that, you know, Celtics-Mavericks, similar to uh, Bruins and the Jets, always good games when the Celtics and Mavericks play. Uh, Luca has beaten the Celtics a couple times on buzzer beater, so here's hoping that that doesn't happen tonight. Uh, but I think it should be a really good game. Celtics will play host to the Mavericks March 1st, so not too long before the Celtics. We'll see them again, and then the Heat, obviously, uh, I think first game against the Heat this season, if I'm not mistaken. No, they played the Heat. Second game of the season. Yes, I remember that game. So, first matchup in Miami, though, the site of <laughs> the site of Game 6 from this conference finals last year, the Derek White tip-in. So, that'll be interesting Thursday night. And then Saturday, the Clippers come to the Garden with a lot of, uh, a lot of talent. And they're playing some good basketball. So, uh, personally excited for that game. I'll be attending Saturday night. So, looking forward to that. But... Uh, definitely, I think, some tough opponents here uh, for the Celtics the next three games. So here's hoping that things improve. Uh, it be interesting to see. The trade deadline is getting closer, but I think that, you know, as we've talked about, I think that there's, there is validation in, you know, keeping the roster the same, but I think also in... <clears throat> making some additions to the roster as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, but again, you know, some tough opponents this month continues to be pretty challenging for the Celtics. So I think unless there's any other Celtics thoughts, I mean, I think continuing to find, you know, kind of some consistent bench minutes 
has been good to see. I think um, Bursette is playing some more minutes off the bench. You know, Cornette, I think, has always had a consistent role this season, and he just continues to be really impressive. I think I think that's what I was going to talk about. I think the defensive effort that they had last night, um, especially, I think, in the second half when Houston started to make the game close. You know, they made the game 93-90. Celtics were up 17 at one point in the game, and, you know, here come the Rockets. You know, very a team that really just refused to go away last night. And I thought the Celtics, after the game became close, really started to stiffen up defensively. And, you know, Cornette, I think, was part of that charge. You know, someone that Joe Missoula looked to when the team kind of was not really playing with a lot of energy and focus and Luke comes in and I think really helped, you know, kickstart that rally to get the Celtics to take control back of the game. Um, and be able to come out with a win. So really impressed with the defensive effort last night. Um, and I think also just going back to, you know, Porzingis and other guys <clears throat> recognizing that they need to step up with Tatum and Brown being shut down. I thought that, you know, obviously with Houston being coached by Eme, I think that defensively they did a much better job than they did uh, the previous game against the Celtics. But I thought the Celtics' other guys did a great job of, you know, taking advantage of kind of those extra opportunities and, you know, credit to Jalen and Jason for, you know, being able to rely on their teammates. You know, Jalen with only six made field goals last night at 13 points, but he had 10 assists, you know, looking to make plays for other guys when his shot wasn't there, when he maybe was being doubled or being harassed get the ball to a teammate for an easier shot. So um, I thought it was a really solid game all around. So hope that continues tonight in Dallas. That'll be another tough game, but see how they do against Luka and company. So I think that's going to do it for the Celtics. I'm going to talk about the Patriots now. There's no games going on. Obviously, there are some playoff games we'll talk about a little bit later, but... I think some major news in terms of the Patriots coaching staff. So uh, the biggest news last week was that Bill O'Brien has left the Patriots and will now coach uh, the offensive side at Ohio State. And so obviously leaves a pretty pretty big hole for the Patriots to fill um, in terms of an offensive coordinator. You know, I think kind of a... Disappointing year all around, I think, for Bill O'Brien in New England. I think I think it's just not working out with the offensive line just really never coming together, not really being healthy for most of the season. You know, kind of in, being incapable of getting Mac Jones to kind of get back to the quarterback that he was his rookie year. And I think, you know, there were a lot of factors. You know, injuries had a lot to do with it, I think. Poor play had a lot to do with it, too. But, you know, I think it's too bad that things just didn't work out for O'Brien with the Patriots last season. So he has now moved on. He is at Ohio State, and uh, Gerard Mayo has quickly started to um, interview different coordinator candidates uh, for defense special teams and now um, offenses. There's some reports that the Patriots are interested 
um, and having interviews with a couple of a couple of coaches uh, from the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, so he's going to take a look at a couple of these offensive coordinators. So uh, the first one, uh, Zach Robinson, who <laughs> Patriot diehards like me may remember him as a uh, seventh-round Patriots draft pick in 2010. Zach was a, a pretty solid standout quarterback at Oklahoma State. Um, and so... He stayed in the football business um, and joined the Rams on Sean McVay's staff in 2019. Um, and so since 2022, the last two seasons, he has been the Rams passing game coordinator, coaching both the wide receivers and the quarterbacks. Um, so I think definitely is a name that could get some people excited. You know, I think the people thinking that they want a kind of quote-unquote modern, you know, offensive mind uh, to run the offense. And I think it's, you know, encouraging coming from the Sean McVay tree, as you guys, I guess you could say, um, as someone that's pretty involved in the offensive side of the football now. You know, I'm not going to sit here and get involved in, you know, X's and O's and like, oh, this is going to be great. But I do think that it's interesting that Mayo is going you know, outside the organization for, you know, some of these guys that I think could be good fits. You know, I think it's kind of too early to tell whether someone like Robinson would be, oh my gosh, he would be amazing. You know, you kind of have to see what types of players they would bring in and things like that before we start to be like, oh my God, it's going to be, he's going to be this, you know, savior. You know, I think it does a lot depend on the offensive line and the health and the health of the offensive line. And, you know, I think an offensive scheme doesn't really work well if the offensive line is not where it needs to be. So, you know, I think figuring out the offensive line is the biggest thing, but, you know, I think it's encouraging that they want to kind of do things a little bit differently. And I think that there's merit in doing that because they think that things here have been done a certain way for a long time. And I think, you know, sometimes that change can be good. So Robinson is a candidate. Nick Cayley um, is also a candidate as he will actually be the first um, offensive coordinator interview. So he's been with the Patriots or was with the Patriots previously uh, from 2015 to 2022. And so I think there's a thought that both Kaylee and Zach Robinson could come over uh, to help out the Patriots offense. So uh, Kaylee, a little bit of experience here, who was uh, previously a tight end coach here in New England. So those are kind of the two offensive names that have been mentioned that the Patriots are have talking to have have spoken to or will speak to um, in the near future. Patriots are also interviewing candidates for. The defensive coordinator, Demarcus Covington, Patriots uh, Patriots defensive line coach. Uh, he's been on the staff since 2017. Um, and so very, very, very good possibility he could be the Patriots' next defensive coordinator. Michael Hodges has also been interviewed, um, has coached 
the Saints linebackers for the past four years. They've also spoken to Christian Parker. He's been a defensive backs coach for a number of different schools in the NFL and has been in the NFL since 2019. Tim Lukabu also a coach that was interviewed as well has been the Panthers outside linebackers coach um, and also was the BC defensive coordinator for a couple of years. So I think mostly defensive coordinator guys that have been interviewed, special teams coaches as well. Take a look at some names here. Jeremy Springer, last two seasons as an assistant special teams coach with the Rams. <clears throat> and also they've talked to Marquise Williams, who has been with the Falcons the last three years. So just a couple of names looking at the presumably a new special teams uh, coordinator is, you know, special teams have kind of not been, not been great for the Patriots the last couple of years. I think that there are certain areas that have been solid. Um, you know, I think this year the punting was certainly a lot better, but I think, you know, there were some issues on punt and kick returns, obviously some issues in the kicking game. Um, so I think it'll be interesting you know, to see if the Patriots can get some improvements in both of those areas or some improvements in those areas, especially at special teams. And then obviously, you know, on offense, Patriots had a lot of issues last year. So I think, you know, be interesting to see what ends up happening. But I think if, you know, the Patriots kind of move quickly to install Mayo as the head coach, you know, I think that there's thought that they could move quickly to, you know, take a look at some new coordinators. But, you know, I think that this is a process that they shouldn't rush, you know, and I think a lot of this is going to depend on, you know, whether these coach, whether specifically on offense, I think there's still a lot that needs to be done on the offense other than just hiring a new coordinator. You know, I think that Again, as I said, you know, we can't look at this and think, oh, okay, new, new offensive coordinator, things are just magically going to get better. You know, the roster also needs to improve. The offensive line needs to be better. You know, it's like, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure where I would go with that analogy. But basically, I was thinking like, you know, you can switch head chefs. But if your ingredients aren't good enough, it really doesn't matter. So, you know, I think it's a good start for this process. But I think, you know, you want the Patriots to, you know, add in the correct talent and not just, you know, there, there, there needs to be change other than the coach is kind, of, is kind of my point. So I think there was another thing that I kind of wanted to talk about and, you know, something that. I'm kind of going back and forth on as to whether I think this is good or bad. Um, and maybe it's not, but I think there's a comment that Gerard Mayo had made. Uh, maybe it was this morning on the Greg Hill show on WEI, you know, made this statement about, you know, spending cash or spending money. Um, and, you know, talking about 
thousand percent, you know, spending money and, you know, made some comment that they're ready to burn some cash. Now, maybe that's not a direct quote, um, but I don't know. <laughs> Something about that kind of makes me a little bit uneasy. Um, and I think, you know, this team is going to be different in terms of how they spend money because Bill Belichick's not here. You know, I think that the team is probably going to be less less conservative, I think, in the money that they sign to the money that they give to free agents and whatnot. Um, but I think that there needs to be a fine balance between being ultra conservative, but also or there needs to be a balance between being conservative and being aggressive. You can't really you can't really go too far in the other direction. You know, and I feel like the Patriots maybe recently have dipped too far into the conservative side, conservative side, but at the same time, you know, I think that you don't want to go too far the other way and be too aggressive um, because I think that that can lead you into, you know, problems down the road that, okay, maybe you give too big of a contract to a certain player or certain players and it ends up costing you, you know, in the sense that, okay, you give big money to certain free agents, doesn't leave you with a lot of space to re-sign some other guys, you know, and it takes up big chunks of your cap space in your roster. And I recognize that this team was one of the worst teams in the league last year. And obviously you need to spend money to improve the team. But at the same time, there needs to be a balance. You know, this can't just be a ridiculous spending spree that helps you for two years and then five years down the road you are you know back to kind of where you started you know so i think it's they need to be smart with their money and i think sure there are going to be people that are going to be excited like oh they're not going to be not going to be cheap now i guess but you know they need to be smart because i think that's a problem that you can run into if you spend too much money on certain guys and it ends up eating too much of your cap space and you're not able to sign up, you know, re-sign other guys. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, I think that there is a lot of cap space the Patriots can use. And I think obviously you want to take advantage of that. You want to take advantage of the high traffic to, you know, kind of replenish your talent base, so to speak. But I think that there's a way you can go about it where, you can spend a lot of money, but not do something that's going to cripple you down the road that, you know, if you spend a lot of money now, you won't be able to spend money three years from now when maybe you need to re-sign some guys. So I just hope that the Patriots spend the money correctly, but also I think get the right mix of players because it's like you don't want to give a big contract to a guy that doesn't really help the team, you know. They think that you'd rather give a small contract to a guy that's going to help improve your team and help, you know, keep your team competitive. So, you know, I'm curious to see what happens, but, um, you know, not going to be anything crazy that happens really, I think, between now and free agency. You know, free agency is in March, so, you know, that's kind of when you'll see this team spend money, and I'm curious to see how they're going to do it. You know, I think there's... 
different positions that you could spend money on in free agency, but also positions that, you know, you can think about at the draft. But I think, and I think as I said to someone this weekend, how they prefer what they do in free agency, I think will greatly affect what they do in the draft. Um, and I think may give us a better idea in terms of, you know, what their needs are going to be um, going into the draft. So I think it's going to do it for the Patriots. We're going to briefly talk about some revs. Uh, Dewan Jones recently uh, signed a new contract to stay with the revs. Uh, so he'll be here for the next couple of seasons, which is good to see. The revs have started off season training um, and have a, are starting to have some preseason games um, in the next couple of weeks. So they have a couple preseason games uh, before they kick off with kick off with uh, the CONCACAF Champions Cup February 21st and then the first MLS game of the season February 24th against DC United. So it's uh, right around the corner MLS season. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, no Red Sox really to get to. We'll talk more about them uh, for Guest Friday. Looking forward to that. So I think I'm going to move on to talking some NFL, uh, some really solid divisional round games uh, this weekend. Uh, other than Baltimore's uh, dismantling of Houston, uh, you had three other games this weekend that were really close, really interesting. Um I think very entertaining, fun games to watch. Uh, San Francisco using a, a late fourth quarter drive by Brock Purdy to get the win over Green Bay. And then Detroit outlasting Tampa Bay yesterday, 31-23, and the game that everyone's talking about this morning. Uh, Kansas City outlasting Buffalo, 27-24. So great games, high drama this weekend. So the... Uh, championship games next Sunday at 3 o'clock, Kansas City and Baltimore, and then at 6.30, Detroit and San Francisco. <laughs> you know, I think I like both of the higher seeds in both of these games, but I think the games will be really interesting. Um, I think the NFL got got lucky, I think, in terms of, you know, getting both of these solid games. I think, you know, sometimes the conference championships can be matchups that are not very intriguing, but I think both of these really are. Um, I think you have three teams that I think are, you know, teams that I think people would expect to be in the Super Bowl, and then one, you know, maybe it's a bit of a surprise with the Lions, but I think they've been a great story. So both pretty difficult road games for Kansas City and Detroit, but I do think that both of them will make it interesting, and I do think one of them wins. I think one of the road team will run one of the road teams win on Sunday, and I think that will make for a pretty interesting Super Bowl, no matter what the matchup is. But I think that either way, the matchup is going to be really outstanding, whatever it is in Super Bowl 58 on February 11th. So a couple of, a couple of things here. Uh, despite the Buccaneers' loss to the Lions, Todd Bowles said he definitely wants Baker Mayfield back with the Buccaneers. The 49ers are considering Debo Samuel to be 50-50 for the NFC Championship. He had left 
Saturday's game against the Packers with an injury. The Eagles are firing Sean Desai as their defensive coordinator, so they will be looking for a new coordinator this offseason. And the Chicago Bears have hired Seahawks offensive coordinator Shane Waldron to be their offensive coordinator. So be curious to see if that has any bearing on uh, the Bears, whether they'll keep Justin Fields or whether they will trade him. I think that that has some huge bearing in terms of the draft and I think also has some bearing on the Patriots as well. You know, if they may have a chance to select, you know, Caleb Williams or Drake May, I think the decidedly top two quarterbacks, but you know, there's a lot that can change between now and April um, in terms of different players and different quarterbacks. Uh, So curious to see how that shakes out for the Bears and then obviously for the Patriots. So I think we'll move on, give you guys some NHL notes. Travis Waugh has taken over the Islanders as their new head coach and wins uh, his debut as the Islanders beat the Stars um, in overtime. The Edmonton Oilers have won 13 straight games. That's the most by a Canadian team all time. And uh, we'll take a look at some games tonight on the NHL schedule at 7 o'clock on NHL Network. You have Vegas and New Jersey. An 8 o'clock start. You have Florida and Nashville at 9 o'clock. Pittsburgh and Arizona. 10 o'clock, Chicago and Vancouver. And at 10.30, San Jose and Los Angeles. So we'll take a quick look at the standings. In the Eastern Conference, the Bruins on top of the East by five points over the Rangers. They lead the division by seven points over Florida and then nine points over, or 11 points over Toronto. And then in the Metro, the Flyers are in second place, four points behind the Rangers. And then the Hurricanes are one point behind the Flyers. They're in third place. So Bruins will play two of those teams this week in the wild card position and positioning. Uh, Detroit is in that first spot. Tampa Bay in that second spot with the Islanders just uh, two points back. In the Western Conference, Bruins will welcome the uh, Central Division leading Winnipeg Jets who have 64 points. Colorado in second with 63 and then Dallas in third with 60. And then you have in the Pacific, Vancouver, with 66 points, they lead the entire NHL <laughs> with 66 points. And then Vegas in second with 59, Edmonton in third with 53, and then the Kings and the Predators leading in the wild card positions. <clears throat> so I'll take a quick look at some NBA notes. Trey Young suffered a concussion the other night. He will be out indefinitely. Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett returned to Madison Square Garden for the Raptors last night and got a warm welcome after their trade to Toronto. And the Heat retiring Udonis Haslam's number 40 last night. So we'll take a look at some NBA games. Celtics and Mavericks, obviously, at 8.30 tonight. And then you have three games at 7 o'clock. 
Milwaukee and Detroit, Cleveland and Orlando, and then on NBA TV, San Antonio and Philadelphia. 7.30, Memphis and Toronto, 8 o'clock, Charlotte and Minnesota, 9 o'clock, Charlotte, or uh, Chicago and Phoenix, and then at 10 o'clock on NBA TV, the Hawks and the Kings. So we'll take a look at the standings. Celtics still maintaining a pretty healthy lead in the East. Three and a half game lead over the second place Bucks. Sixers in third, followed by the Cavaliers, the Knicks, and the Heat. And then in the play in position, play in position, play in positions, you have the Pacers, the Magic, the Bulls, and the Hawks with the Nets a game back of that final play-in spot. Minnesota still leads the uh, still leads the West by a game over Oklahoma City and Denver. The Clippers are in fourth place in the West. Celtics will see them later later this week. And then they are followed by the Pelicans and the Mavericks, who the Celtics uh, will, will play tonight. And then in the play-in spots, Phoenix, Sacramento, Los Angeles, Lakers, um, and the Jazz. And then the Rockets, just a game behind. So before we go, give you guys some MLB notes. Couple of free agent signings: Josh Hader and the Astros reaching a five-year deal worth about ninety-five million. Robert Stevenson agreeing to a deal with the Angels, three years for thirty-three million. Matt Carpenter returning to the Cardinals on a one-year deal, and the Yankees are cutting Jeter Downs, former uh, Red Sox prospect that got traded to the team in the Mookie Betts trade. So. I think that's going to do it for me this week. I uh, want to wish good luck to, um, again, all the um, participating schools and the Women's Bean Pot Championship is tomorrow night, Boston University against Northeastern. And then obviously Men's Bean Pot will be in a couple of weeks. Uh, so great to be back. Uh, looking forward to guest Friday later this week uh, with our returning guest. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, we will talk to you then.